In response to the sermon, we will sing from Psalter 32, 32 verses 2, 3, and 4. A beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last Thursday we celebrated Ascension Day. And if you were able to be in church or to listen from home perhaps, or even if you weren't able to listen for whatever reason, what we learned there then was that from the Gospel of Luke that we learned that the Ascension proclaims the Gospel's success. And the call that, that really came out of that was to look then to Jesus and to keep looking to Him all our lives long. And this afternoon, still in light then of Christ's ascension, we hope to follow up that call, and especially the, the second part of keep looking to Him all our lives long. We want to look at that a bit more closely, because it's not easy, is it? I mean, maybe you came away from Thursday thinking, well, okay, so... Christ, the ascension of Christ proclaims the gospel's success, but what, what does it really mean to look to Jesus and to, and to keep looking to Him? What, what, how do we do that? How, how do I do that in my, my own life, my own circumstances? How do we keep looking to Jesus? How do we persevere in a world, in a country, in our own setting perhaps that is difficult and becoming increasingly more difficult to be a Christian? Well, our text this, this evening, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, gives us some helpful instruction in this regard. In the end of verse 14, the author of Hebrews sa- says this, Let us hold fast our profession, or confession, you could translate. What, is that? what does that mean? What, what, what is holding fast? Well, maybe some examples would help. I'm sure some of you are familiar with having a, a little baby, maybe some of you have brothers and sisters, have a little brother or sister in your home, a little baby. And you, have you ever tried to, to put your finger in the, in, the, in the baby's hands? And what does the baby do? Instinctively, usually. It, it, it holds tight your finger, right? And, and sometimes you even kind of have to, to pry the baby's fingers apart to, to get it off. That, that's holding fast. Or maybe children, you can think of when you're playing with a toy and Maybe your brother or your sister comes and tries to take that toy from you. Well, what do you usually do? You hold on that, to that toy even harder, don't you? You're not going to let it go. And, and, and sometimes your parents have to intervene, don't they? Or, or you can think maybe of driving on an unfamiliar road with lots of twists and turns. And, 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 and so you, you're holding on to the steering wheel as you're driving tightly. And maybe you don't even realize it until you're, you're done your trip and you... And you, you turn off the car and you can almost hardly, your hands are almost stay like this. Holding fast, clutching that steering wheel. That's what holding fast is. But what then does it mean to hold fast our profession or confession? It means to hold fast, to not let go of the faith you profess or confess to have in the Lord Jesus. A faith that speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means not to give that up. One pastor paraphrased it this way. It means really to stick with Jesus no matter what. That was the charge for the struggling Hebrew church. It was a church made up mostly of Jewish 
Christians, which had confessed Jesus, they had professed faith in the Lord, but they were facing now challenges to that profession, to that confession. They were being assaulted by persecution. And, and, and then they looked back at the, their Jewish religion, which they, they came from, and, and in that time, the, the Jews weren't being as persecuted, at least not as severely as the Christians were. And so it was tempting in light of that, and also because of the, the outward pomp and circumstance of Judaism, the, 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 the ceremonies, the, the, the sacrifices, and the glory of the, of the temple, it was tempting for them to compromise, to go back, because then it would be easier. Beloved, we can find ourselves in the same situation too. I mean, it's nice to hear that the ascension of Jesus Christ proclaims the gospel's success, but that doesn't make the Christian life any easier, does it? We face challenges. We face temptations to, to forsake our confession, to forsake our profession, not always, not always by, by, by leaving the church outright and just leaving it all and just living however. It, it can be like that. But it can also be by little compromises here and there. Staying quiet when we should speak up. Going along with something when we know we shouldn't because, well, our friends are doing it or our job depends on it. So, so how do we hold fast our profession, our confession of Jesus, with all these temptations that we face and with, with all the weakness that we find in ourselves? Well, let's read our in, entire text for the answer. Hebrews four fourteen through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see what our, our text does, congregation? The, the, the Bible never just gives us bare exhortations, does it? It's, it's, it's sandwiched, it's hidden in, in all of this surrounding text that it not only exhorts, exhorting us then to hold fast our confession, to stick with Jesus no matter what, but also how we can and must do so. So our theme for this, this evening is holding fast your confession of Jesus. That's the call. And we want to look from our text at, at three aspects then of holding fast that confession. First, recalling his greatness. Second, encouraged by his sympathy. And third, depending on his help. Holding fast our confession of Jesus, recalling his greatness, encouraged by his sympathy, and depending on his help. Recalling his greatness. Congregation, this is really what the whole book of Hebrews is all about. It's about the greatness of Jesus. It starts already in, in chapter 1, where the author talks about how Christ is greater than the prophets. And then he's greater than the angels. He's greater than, than Moses even. And, and Joshua, and at the end of chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter 3, he had referred to 
to Jesus as the high priest, the merciful and faithful high priest, the high priest of our profession. And now here, in the first part of verse 14, he returns to that, and he says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. You see what he's doing? He's recalling for, for the, the, the readers, he's recalling for us the greatness of Jesus because, you see, it is his greatness that fortifies us to hold fast our confession, that fortifies us to persevere in faith, to stick with Jesus. Notice first how he brings out the greatness of his office. Jesus is our high priest. Now this is a crucial point. Because you see, the, the high priest, in, according to the Old Testament, was the only way there could be fellowship between, and reconciliation between men, between humans and God. The high priest represented the people to God as he, as he sacrificed those, those animal sacrifices on their behalf for sin and as he interceded for them. Every Israelite, even the king, had access to God and was accepted by God only through the high priest. That was biblical teaching. But now here was the problem because here they are in the New Testament and, and the Jewish high priest and really a lot of the Jewish religious leaders of that day had rejected Jesus Christ. So what that meant then for the Hebrew Christians was that it looked like they were rejecting God's revelation. They were rejecting the Old Testament. You, do you see how sneaky the pressure to compromise, the pressure to forsake and to let go of the faith can be? But our text, our text helps them because it, it helps them recall that Jesus, and it helps us recall that Jesus is our high priest. And more than that, he's our great high priest. There's no one like him, you see. No one better than him. He's, he's a fulfillment of the high priestly ministry because he offered up on our behalf not animals, but himself. Well, don't we sometimes face the same kind of challenges? No, we're, of course, we don't have the Jewish pressure that they had, but well, we can have pressure too. It can be easy sometimes to think that if, if we just made, with, with, with all the cultural pressures, if we just made this change in church, in our church, or, or that change, and I'm not saying all changes are bad necessarily, but, but by thinking that change is what brings us closer to God or more acceptable to God, that's a temptation. That's a challenge. Or it can be personally when you're troubled by past sins, by past failures and shortcomings, the temptation can be to think that you have to try and make up for them somehow. You, you have to try and make yourself acceptable to God by, by something you do. That's how every other religion does it. That's a temptation, congregation, to forsake our confession, to think that Jesus is not enough. So how do we resist it? by recalling that Jesus is our great high priest. He gives you access to God. He makes you fully acceptable to God. But maybe you say, well, how do I know Jesus really fulfills that office? 
That can be a question sometimes, can't it? It would have been a question the Hebrew Christians could have faced from their, their unbelieving Jewish family members or friends, acquaintances. Because each year, on the Day of Atonement, the Jews could, could point to their high priest, their earthly high priest, and say that God approves of him, you see, because he went into the temple, he went through that veil, and he came out alive. If he had died, well, then that would be a sign that, that God didn't approve of that high priest, but, but he comes out alive every year. And then they could throw the question at the Christians, so what about your Jesus? You say he's alive, where is he? But our text reminds us that the Christians could say, and we can say and still say today, actually, God obviously approves of Jesus as a high priest because he didn't go into a, a, the earthly temple and come out again. No, he passed into the heavens, into the very presence of God, and he remains there as a sign of God's acceptance of him. And more than that, as the author is going to, to, to really explain in the following chapters, Jesus Christ sat down there at God's right hand, and he's always living to make intercession there for the saints. He is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, congregation, it's, it's by recalling not only the greatness of Jesus' office, but also the greatness of his success that we hold fast our confession. Do you see that? Maybe, maybe children, you wonder, why can't I see Jesus? Is it because he's not a real person? No, it's, it's not because of that. You can't see him because Jesus' human nature in his human body and soul, he went up into heaven. And you see, by remembering that, by remembering that the Savior we confess is not en route to heaven, but in heaven, right now, as our advocate in the presence of the Father, and as, as the giver, as the pledge of future glory, and as the giver of His Holy Spirit, it is by remembering that that we are enabled to hold fast our confession. To hold fast to Him, because there's no one greater than Him. But that's not all. Our text also recalls the greatness of his person. He's not just a man. Look at how our ver verse 14 identifies Jesus. He's the Son of God. That means two things. First, it means he's God himself. He's almighty. So when we feel like we can't go on, when the temptations seem too powerful, he is mightier still. When, when our sins seem too great, He is greater still. When our suffering for His sake, our, our standing up and speaking up for Him is, is, seems impossible with us, seems too, too hard to do, it becomes possible with Him because He is the Son of God, because He is Almighty. But the second thing this means is this. He's not just our high priest. He's our high priest who has been called by God. Hebrews 5 verse 5 says that Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he, the Father, who said to him, Thou art my son. 
Today have I begotten thee. Do you see the connection? It is by God saying this that appoints Jesus to be our high priest. Christ is not a self-appointed high priest. He's been appointed by God. And when you see that, when you recall that Jesus is the Son of God, whom God himself gave us to be our high priest, well, then you can't just forsake him, can you? Because to forsake him is to forsake God. And to forsake God is to forsake your only hope of salvation. You won't do that, will you? Who is greater? Who is greater, I ask you, than this? Jesus. To whom else will you go? Or rather, let us hold fast our confession, our profession of Jesus, recalling his greatness, the greatness of his office, the greatness of his success, and the greatness of his person. But maybe you say, well, okay, but if he's so great, then, then how, how can he really understand how hard it is? How can someone who's so great, who's up there in heaven, how can he understand what it's like to try and hold fast to him? Does he know how much it's, it'll, it's going to cost me? Uh, if he's so great, is he really able to relate to me? Well, this brings us to our second point. Hold fast our confession. We hold fast our confession, encouraged by his sympathy. Look with me at verse 15. Verse 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Do you see the connection between the exhortations, let us hold fast our confession, and this verse? It's connected by that little word, for. The Jesus you profess to believe is not uncaring toward your struggles as you seek to hold on to him. He is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He is full of sympathy. And it's that sympathy that is meant to encourage you, to encourage me to hold fast our confession. Children, do you know what sympathy is? It's, it's what you see in your mom and dad when, when you get sick, perhaps, and, and they care for you. They care for you because you're their child. And, and they remember what it's like to be sick. And so Jesus sympathizes with each of one of his people. He cares for you, dear believer, in your struggles and in your weaknesses. His sympathy is for sure and for real. The text is, is emphatic about that. Did you notice how it uses two negatives? We have not an high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Well, what's, what did two negatives make? A positive, right? Actually, they make a strong positive. You see, this means that not just that Jesus is able to sympathize with us, it means that he does sympathize with us. That's simply who he is. He knows our frame. He, 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 he remembers that we are dust. Yes, he's infinitely greater than you and me. Yes, he's, he's in heaven right now at the right hand of his Father, glorified, exalted, but he doesn't ignore our weaknesses. He cares for us in them. His sympathy is real and sure, and it is deep. He is touched 
with the feeling of our infirmities. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. You know, when you are in the middle of suffering or in the middle of a struggle in life, it can be a tremendous encouragement to have a person come alongside you who, who's been there, who knows what it's like. Congregation, that person is Jesus in our text. He understands. One pastor told a story about a boy who's whose father was on military duty. He's gone for quite some time. And, of course, this boy would have missed him a lot. And, and he often would look at a picture of him in the living room. So he'd often look at this picture in the frame. One day, as he was looking at this picture, his mom was in the kitchen, and all of, the, all of a sudden, she heard him crying. So she ran into the living room, and the boy was there. He was looking at the picture, and she asked, What's wrong, son? You know what the boy said? He said this. I just want Daddy to come out of the frame. And the pastor went on to say that sometimes it can feel to us like God is in a frame. Yeah, we read about Him in the Bible. We read about His love, His care for us, but it can seem so distant. But then he said this. In Jesus Christ, God has come out of the frame. In Jesus Christ, God has come out of the frame. Jesus Christ came to this earth, you see. And he didn't go and live in a palace and to be served. No, he he was born in a stable. And he sweated, he shivered, he struggled, and he suffered. And think of what he suffered. He suffered abuse. He suffered shame. He suffered slander. Beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ knows what it's like. He knows the weakness of the human body. He knows the weakness of our frame. And he hasn't forgotten what it's like, even though he's in heaven. One poem puts it this way. Our fellow sufferer yet retains a fellow feeling of our pains and still remembers in the skies his tears, his agonies, and cries. It's not just that he understands our weaknesses. He knows how hard it is to hold fast with those weaknesses in the midst of temptation and trial and struggle, in the midst of spiritual assault. Think just of his, his temptations in the wilderness. Remember, he was tempted with unbelief after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted with pride as he was at the pinnacle of the temple. He was tempted with power when Satan showed him all the kingdoms of this world and said to him, if you just bow down and worship me, you can have it all. He was in all points tempted as we are. Even on the cross, he was being tempted. As his own people mocked him and said, if he is the Son of God, let him come down from the cross and then we will believe in him. He's been there. He understands. He knows the heat of the temptation to give up. A heat that was so intense for him that it was only, as Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, only through prayers and supplications with strong, vehement crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death that he persevered. 
congregation, isn't that an encouragement then? In the middle of your struggles, as you fight the good fight of faith, to hold fast because of his sympathy. So you cannot say about your high priest, about Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, that he doesn't understand. He does understand. He understands what it's like far more deeply than you or I can ever realize. Because notice what else our text says. It says this, He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Now perhaps you read that and you think as I've read it before and struggled with, you think, ah, you see there, but Jesus doesn't fully understand because he was without sin. Well, it's true. Jesus never had a sinful desire like you and I do. You and I are conceived and born in sin, but Jesus, he was not conceived and born in sin. He was, he was sinless. And, and, and that's really something hard for us to understand. We don't understand what it's like to be human and and sinless. But do you think that made his temptations easier or harder? Yes, he was without sin, but remember, he was still human. He was without sin, but he was not without weakness. And the longer Christ remained faithful to God in spite of his human weaknesses, the harder and the more vicious the temptations became. You can think of it like, like what, hap- what has been happening with Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine has been holding out beyond all expectations. But the more, the longer they have held out, the more vicious, the more cruel, the more heartless, the more horrible Russia has been attacking them. Now apply that to or think that, of that as you look again and listen again to the taunts thrown at Christ as he hung in agony on that bloody cross. If you are the Son of God, if he is the Son of God, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. Again and again and again and again. What was his response? Did he come down from the cross? No. Not because he couldn't, but because he wouldn't. He refused to come down from the cross, not because the cross was holding him fast, but because he held fast to the cross so that we might hold fast our confession. Congregation, Christ's sinlessness in the face of his temptations is not a flaw in his sympathy for you. It's the guarantee of his sympathy, because if he had not remained sinless, if he had gotten down off that cross, he could have no sympathy for us. Or if you want to call it sympathy, it would be useless sympathy. Something like the story of a boy who had lost his right hand. Imagine children losing your right hand. Well, this boy had lost his right hand, and he was rather humiliated. He didn't want to, just kind of wanted to hide, and he didn't want to come out of the house, and the father didn't know what to do, and Finally, he he brought a pastor over to see the boy, and as the pastor walked in, the boy noticed that this pastor, he didn't have a right hand either. And of course, you you can imagine there was an immediate connection, an immediate bond, and and it was strengthened all the more when the pastor said to the boy, "I, I know how it feels. The boy knew he had a real friend, someone who understood 
It's a touching story, and on a human level, it's beautiful, of course. A congregation that didn't help his hand. You see, that's not the kind of sympathy we need. And praise God, that's not the kind of sympathy that Jesus gives. Yes, he understands our weaknesses. Yes, he knows how it feels to be tempted. Yes, he knows what it is to suffer and to struggle and to struggle hard. But his right hand has never been cut off. The sympathy he has for sinners like you and me is not the sympathy of a fellow sinner, just as maimed and broken as we are. It's the sympathy of a faithful Savior. A Savior who held fast to the cross as he willingly bore the sins of, me, of many. Congregation, can we not then hold fast, encouraged by his sympathy, to our confession? Maybe you say, well, sympathy is nice, but where am I going to get the strength? Where am I going to get the help? Well, that brings us to our third point. We hold fast our confession of Jesus as our high priest, not only recalling his greatness, not only encouraged by his sympathy, but lastly, depending on his help. Verse 16 gives us another exhortation based on the greatness and sympathy of our high priest. He says, it says there, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We hold fast our profession, our confession, congregation, not by, not by positive thinking. We, we stick with Jesus, not by positive thinking or positive speaking about ourselves. We hold fast to Jesus by depending on His help. And what, what does that look like? That, that looks like Going to him, going expectantly, going boldly with all our helplessness. Yes, with all, all our, our, our sins and our failures and our, and our weaknesses. Yes, stumbling and fumbling and bumbling in the Christian life as we are again and again to the throne of grace in prayer for help in the battle. And yet, isn't this exactly what we're so slow to do by nature? I was given a convicting quote from Thomas Watson, the Puritan, about this recently. Watson said this, Christ went more readily to the cross than we to the throne of grace. Christ went more readily to the cross than we to the throne of grace. Isn't that convicting? Especially when you realize that this throne is a throne of grace. Wait, but Satan loves, us, loves to make us forget this, doesn't he? Especially when we've blown it again. As a parent, as a spouse, as a child, as an employee, whatever role or responsibility you may have. And we all blow it. We blow it every day. And that's when those thoughts can come. I can't come to God about this. He helped me last week, yeah, but that, that was my last chance. He's not going to help me now. I have to get my act together first. Maybe then he'll help me, but probably not. Congregation, that's when we need to stop. That's when we need to stop and take a good look at this throne. It's not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace. 
a throne that radiates with the kindness and the favor of God. How can that be? How, how, how can the holy God, you maybe say, freely show kindness and favor to me in all my mess-ups and failures, in all my filthiness, in all my wretchedness as a sinner, in all my slowness to learn? How can... You know how? It's because the one who's... It's because the one who sits on this throne is not only God, he's also man. He's not only the Holy One, he's also the High Priest. He's not only the Sovereign King, he's also the Lamb of God that was slain. It's a throne of grace, you see, exactly because Jesus, the one who sits there, went so readily to the cross. It's a throne of grace because it is sprinkled with his blood like the lid of the ark of the mercy seat, or what was called the mercy seat because it was sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb. And so for all who come by faith in Him, no matter how filthy and sinful, how weak and how many times they've messed up, it is for them a throne of grace. And what is grace? It's a throne you see where it's free. Grace is free, you see. That's the definition of grace. It's a throne where God's almighty help for our holding fast, for our sticking with Jesus, no matter what, is absolutely free. And it's not only free, it's, it's full, it's, it's, it's overflowing. Because when you come to this throne, you find all the help you need. You receive mercy, the text says. Mercy to forgive every single sin, every failure. Because God, you see, is rich in mercy. Mercy for the helpless, mercy for the hopeless. Yes, even regenerating and renewing mercy for those who are dead in their sins and trespasses or who feel dead, who who feel like their walk with God is dead. Oh, what reason, what reason, congregation, for all of us to come to depend on His help. Because there we receive mercy and there we will find grace to help in time of need. Grace for present trials. Grace to hold fast our confession. Grace to stick with Jesus no matter what. Grace to grow in holiness also in those areas of light that you feel like you're never going to grow in. Grace to patiently endure suffering because of your faith to the glory of of God. Yes, there at this throne of grace we find grace to resist the temptation to give it up, to give in, to let go. We find grace to flee from sin. Beloved, this is what we we receive from the hands of Jesus Christ at the throne of grace. And that's why we may sing those beautiful words of Psalter 362 based on Psalm 130. Hope In the Lord, or in light of our text, you could sing it this way. Come to his throne, ye waiting saints, and he will well provide. For mercy and redemption, full and free, with him abide. From sin and evil, mighty though they seem, his arm almighty will his saints redeem. The help, congregation, we find at the throne of grace is full, it's free, and it comes just at the right time. That's really what the last phrase means. You could translate the verse this way. 
Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace for well-timed help. That's God. He always helps on time. He gives his strength right when we need it. I know that's not always easy to see this side of heaven sometimes. But one day, every one of God's people will see and they'll confess and they'll rejoice that whenever they ask for God's help, it always came. And it was never late. Oh, what a throne of grace this is, congregation. Do you see that with me? What a privilege it is. But then we must ask the question, are we making use of that privilege? Are we living the Christian life in dependence on Him? Or are we trying to do it in our own strength? Where are you in this? I ask myself this question. One commentator said this, to believe in God but not spend quality time in prayer is to say that we don't need His grace in our daily lives. It is practical atheism. I'll say that again. To believe in God, but not spend quality time with Him in prayer is to say that we don't need His grace in our daily lives. It is practical atheism. I don't know about you, beloved, but in light of the calling we have, the calling to hold fast our confession. I need God's help. I can't do it without God. I can't do it without His mercy and without His grace to help in time of need. But you see, He is the God of all grace. That is what this is really telling us. He is the God of all grace and He says He will give to us this mercy and this grace that we need. When we pray, there is no better, no safer place to be, congregation, than at the throne of grace. So let us hold fast our profession, our confession, the confession that speaks of Jesus as our high priest. Yes, let us hold fast, recalling his greatness, encouraged by his sympathy, and depending on his help. And when you do that by grace and you realize that our holding fast is actually because he is our great high priest is holding fast to us. But I want to close with a word to those of you who are here and you maybe have no idea what this is all about because you don't have a profession, a confession of faith in Christ. I'm not, I'm not talking about whether you've done public confession of faith or not. That's beside the point right now. I'm talking about not having faith in your heart and life. Can I ask you something? Why not? Why are you not believing in Him? What is it? What is it that you're holding on to that you won't let go of to, to cling to Him, to hold to Him? What is it? 
Can it be greater than him? Whatever it is, don't you realize that it's going to burn? It will never satisfy you. Only Christ can satisfy you. Won't you let go? Won't you let go of whatever you're putting your hope in and put your hope in Christ? Don't think you don't need him. Don't think you don't need this Jesus, this high priest. He is the only way you see. He is the only way to eternal life, to reconciliation, to fellowship with God. And don't think you can't have him. Because he is most willing as our high priest and most able to save to the uttermost all who, called, who come unto God by him. So won't you let go? Won't you take hold of him? Yes, won't you join us? Won't you join the people of God as we sing in confession together, thy path, O God, of life I choose for mine and walk with purpose true. For help, O God, I cry to thee, assured that thou wilt answer me. Amen.